Welcome to the podcast of New Covenant Church in Albuquerque, where we focus on the Bible, faith, and life issues. We hope this podcast will be helpful to you on your faith journey. Now, here's our message. And I was astounded to hear a layman preach and teach. I didn't know that could happen. And uh, that was really probably the, the, the first seed that, that was planted in me eventually becoming a pastor. Today, we have a very special guest who is an important part of our family here at NCC. He's uh, head of our deacons group, which is like a group of, of men that, that we really love and trust who are called to serve in many, many ways around the church, from facilities type things to uh, individuals who need a, a little bit of extra help. We invited him to speak at our men's retreat uh, back at the end of last year and Pastor Dave and I and all the men in attendance were just so blown away by his message that we felt we wanted to share it with all of you. So please help me with a, a warm New Covenant welcome for our brother Paul Lair. Good morning and uh, Happy New Year. As Steve mentioned a couple months ago, I was asked to speak in the men's retreat, and um, it's a topic near and dear to my heart, having been raised by some warriors and hand ringers and doubting Thomases and, and nervous Nellies in my life. Um, my presentation to the men went over fairly well, and as a result, like Steve said, Pastor asked me to share it with you sometime in 2022. I thought he was joking, because my gifts are certainly not preaching or teaching. As one of your deacons, it's been my privilege to serve a number of you and a number of our widows and single moms over the last eight years um, with household needs. I love to serve and I love to um, host, but uh, preaching and teaching is uh, not one of my gifts. So when Pastor told me that he wanted me to do this, I really thought he was joking. Um, so I did what any brave and courageous deacon would do. I took him aside and pleaded with him to let me off the hook. <laughs> so he says to me, Paul, are your gifts in evangelism? And I said, no, pastor, they're, they're not. And he said, well, does that mean that you never have to share the gospel? Well, so we ended that conversation, and here I am this morning. <laughs> um, besides being raised by some pretty high-strung parents, I spent 36 years uh, at French Mortuary as a funeral director and as an embalmer. Being on the front lines of death all those years gave me an observation and a perspective on stress that probably few people have experienced during their lifetimes. I've also lost a brother to cancer when he, at the age of six. I've lost a son to an accident. And I've watched several, several family members suffer through cancer uh, over extended periods of time. Now, this certainly doesn't make me an expert on, uh, or an authority on stress, but it has given me a unique perspective on the kinds of things and the kinds of issues that surround stress. One more thing before we get started. As a deacon the last eight years, I've gotten to peek in behind the curtain, so to speak, at uh, the staff here at New Covenant. And I have to tell you that we have an amazing group of men and women who serve this church. So as we talk this morning about joy and stress and thankfulness, I'd like you to remember them in 2022 in your prayers 
because they're on the front lines of all of the issues that we bring to the table each week, and uh, they can certainly use our prayers. So I'd like to start off this morning with a verse out of Matthew 6, which says, Therefore, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or what you will drink, about your body, what you will wear. Is not your life more important than food, and your body more important than clothing? I do not believe that our God, that we were made in the image of God to be stressed. And I don't believe that as Christians or as human beings, we can do our very best work when we're stressed. I also do not believe that we can always control stress. There are things that come up in our lives that are out of our control, and I want to recognize that right up front this morning. But in the last two years, we've been exposed to things that have not only increased our stress or our stress levels, but we're in uncharted territory, and this pandemic uh, has literally caused a number of issues in all of our lives. Last fall, my wife of 35 years and I wanted to get out of town for um, a little break, and it was the first time we had taken a vacation in two years, since the fall of 2019. And I have to tell you, I felt like I was breaking the law. I mean, I actually took my mask off a couple of times in the week we were in Colorado. And, and it felt weird to be around uh, other people up in Breckenridge and, and Vail that uh, didn't have their masks on and were acting kind of normal if there is such a thing anymore. But this morning, hopefully what I can do as we talk about this issue of stress is to give you some things that you might be able to take with you so that we can all uh, hopefully alleviate a little bit of this, uh, this stress issue that's in our lives these days. So let's start out with a definition of stress. When we think about stress, we most often think about the feelings that accompany it. Stress is not feeling afraid. Uh, stress is not feeling worried or tired or angry or lonely. These are certainly all issues that accompany stress, um, but they're not what causes stress and they're not really a good definition of stress. Here's my working definition of stress over the last 40 years. It's, it's when we think we should be in control of something that we're not. So the, the, the definitive word there, the important word is think. So having said this, stress can fall then into two camps, real or perceived. Almost every person I know experiences stress in one of those two camps during their lifetime. And some of you, some of us, are cursed with the fact that we fall into those two camps often. So it will depend an awful lot on the circumstances at hand and the variables involved in what causes the stress in our lives. So as an example of real stress, um, let's talk about our health for a second. So if we have a health issue come up in our lives, it causes stress that's real because We've been taking care of our own bodies for, for a number of years, depending on how old we are. And when we're not in control of something, a surprise illness or a surprise disease, we get upset, we get stressed because we're not in control of something we feel like we should have. That's a, just one example of real stress. An example of perceived stress is when we think we should be in control of something that's outside of our control, even though uh, in all likelihood that's not, that's not real. An example of that would be something I suffer from as one of your deacons, and that's feeling that I should be in control of the drivers in Albuquerque. And, um, and when I'm out on the roads here, and some of you are the cause of my stress, it's because um, of the erratic driving that's taking place. And by the way, that's getting worse as well. And, and stress is not bound by logic. Logic kind of goes right out the window when we're thinking about stress, because we know we can't control Albuquerque drivers, right? I do. But, but it's, it's really a thought that those goes by the wayside because we, we still feel like we should be able to. 
And as we just stated, it could either be real or perceived. Perceived stress can also involve thoughts of control over our children or our grandchildren, our health, as we mentioned, or a number of issues close to us. But the lack of control over something that we think we should be in control of makes our stress meter go right off the charts. So please understand, there are people and circumstances in our lives that I, I would never tell you or contend that we should be always in control of. For example, I'm not a military person, but I had the privilege of serving on a military board back in the early 90s. And, and when I was on that board, I had the honor of listening to a number of stories by soldiers in warfare. And that was a very stressful, or in some cases, a very stressful situation. But that was certainly a circumstance that the soldiers did not have control over. That's real stress. And we are often in a situation where we can't control those things. But remember, if we have a few tools in our toolbox and we understand where stress is coming from, hopefully we can be in better control of that. And, and remember also, God doesn't want us living in stress. And he hopes that we can do our better work when we are away from it. These are just a few examples of, of what can cause stress in our lives. And the, the less control we have over those kinds of situations, the more stress it can create. God tells us in Philippians 4, 6 to not be anxious about anything. And then again in Proverbs 12, 25, that an anxious heart weighs us down. I do not believe God wants us carrying those burdens with us. And as we enter this new year, I think this is a particularly applicable. Let's also look at stress now through three other little words. The first word is worry. And I mentioned to you that I was, worried, I was raised by at least one good worrier. If you're a worrier or you worry a lot, you tend to live your lives contemplating the future. Worry is always projected forward in time. It's, it may be the distant future or it may be the current future or the near future, but it's always the future. Jesus tells us in Matthew 6:27, who of you by worrying can add a single day to your lives? And then three verses later, he brings up in Matthew 6:30, not to worry about tomorrow. And just to add another segment to this particular word, in Proverbs 27.1, he says to us that we should not boast about tomorrow, for we do not know what tomorrow will bring. The point being here is that we may not even have tomorrow, so why worry about it? The second word that I'd like to bring into this conversation this morning is the word regret. This is that gnawing feeling inside of us that something went wrong in the past. If you tend to say things like, well, I wish I had, or if I had only, you probably tend to live your life thinking about the past. Yesterday is over, folks, and it's, uh, there's absolutely nothing that we can do to change it. And you know, in my study of this topic, I could not find one scripture in the entire Bible referring to yesterday. And I can only assume that God doesn't want us living there. The third word is joy. And I propose to you this morning for your consideration that it's the only word that lives in the current moment. And I think that's where God wants us to live. So as you begin thinking about something ahead of you, you tend to be stressed because you can't really handle it until it happens, can you? And if you tend to think of something regretfully or in the past, you can't change that either because it's already over and it's done and it's past us. You, did not, you, you may have thought that you should have handled it differently, you should have said something differently, uh, and whether it's real or perceived, right, it still causes stress in our lives. Words like fret or angst or sorrow uh, can, are awful, often attached to regretful people. That third word, joy, um, I would propose to you that joy 
has no stress at all attached to it, and it occurs only in the here and now. And here's the exciting thing about the word joy. It's the only place that the Lord works in our lives. He doesn't work in the past, that yesterday's over, and he doesn't work in tomorrow because he doesn't even promise us tomorrow. The other component of worry and regret is that they're both time wasters. People spend a lot of time worrying about what's coming up in the future or regretting what happened in the past. So if you're looking for the Lord's will in your life and his good and perfect will, you have to look in the present moment. 1 Peter 5.7 tells us to cast all our cares upon him and he will make straight our paths. Everybody still with me? You guys are quiet out there. And I can't see it because it's really dark up, up, out there. Now let's look at stress through another lens. And that's uh, the, uh, maybe the most important word at all, and that's time. What does time have to do with stress? Well, we all get 168 hours a week to spend. Yep, we spend time. It's a commodity from our Lord. We all get the same deposit every single week. That is at least until our time runs out and he calls us home. Uh, we get to spend it any way that we deem necessary. Does anyone get more than 168 hours? I don't know of anybody. And no one gets any less. We all get 168. So let's consider a few things with that. Your 68, 168 hours is yours. It's no one else's. So now some of you spouses in the audience, and being married 35 years myself, um, you probably think your spouse's time is yours, but I have to tell you this morning, it's not. Um, you get to share your time with your spouse. You can spend time on your spouse or with your spouse, but only you get to decide how to spend what you get. No one else. You have to manage it. You have to use it, and you have to spend it how you see fit. Your time doesn't go into anyone else's bucket, and their time doesn't go into yours. But we've gotten in this mindset in America the last 30 years that our time isn't our own. And like our attitude, that just isn't the truth. It's, it's ours. We own that. I have folks at work, especially young people, and if there's anyone under 30 in the audience, please forgive me, but you guys are the worst at this. They come up to me in the morning and they have all kinds of excuses why they're late. Um, it was their dog's fault, or their car's fault, or their spouse's fault, and I just don't buy any of that. It's, it's, it's just uh, their, their time is their own. It's like they're saying to me, well, Paul, someone came up to me this morning and stole my time, took it right out of my bucket, and I just not ever going to buy that. I mean, your time is your own. The only way time left your bucket is if you let it out. So if you're perpetually late or if you're behind in life all the time and you want to find out who the responsible party is, there's probably a mirror in your bathroom you can figure that out. You don't have to look very far these days to see people stressed out all around us, especially in the last two years. Some people look like zombies, literally the walking dead. Uh, Pastor Dave talked about this back in early November, and others are full of anger. All of us look tired and sad and judgmental and moody or withdrawn these days, and society was already putting a lot of pressure on us when this COVID thing came along and sucked any remaining joy right out of us. Steve Stucker talked about, uh, in late November, he talked about the suggestion that God wants us to be prayerful, thankful, and joyful, and all we have to do is turn on the TV these days and we can see it all around us. We have little or no time for anyone else, anyone else, let alone ourselves. So let's stay with this subject of time for just a couple more minutes and look at a few more details. So one of the questions I love to ask folks when I talk about time management is, what would you do if God gave you a few extra hours each week? And I get a wonderful 
array of responses. Some folks said that they would spend more time with their family or their spouse or their kids, maybe fish or hunt or hike more. But the truth of the matter is this. If we were given a few more hours next week, within a very short period of time, we would be spending it the same exact way that we're spending our time now. Think about it like money. It isn't how much money we make that matters, it's how much money we spend. I've had the honor of knowing several people in my life who made very little money during their lifetimes and always seem to have a little bit left over. I'm also in a position right now to know some people who make a lot of money and it seemed to always run out before the week's over. So again, it's not how much we make, it's how much we spend, and it's the same thing with time. I like to ask people, well, what would you do with extra money if you won the lottery? And they tell me, well, we'd give more, we'd save more, we'd share more. No, you wouldn't. You'd spend it the very same way that you do now. You talk to anybody who's ever won the lottery, and they'll tell you that their spending habits didn't change, only the amount of money that they had to work with did. Time and money are two very similar commodities, and most of us feel like we never have enough of either one. So here's the key to this whole issue. God tells us in Philippians 4 to learn to be content in all circumstances. The key word here is learn. <clears throat> Contentment does not come naturally, folks. It's not in our human nature to be content. We're not born with a contentment gene, and we're not gifted with the ability to be content. And for those A-types in the audience, like myself, it's a hard lesson. Contentment has to be learned. But here's the joyful thing. If Paul had to learn it, the rest of us can too. But here's the deal. Paul follows it up with verses 12 and 13 in the same chapter of Philippians by saying that there's a secret to it. And I can just picture Paul gathering the faithful around him and saying, guys, guys, come here. I have a secret to tell you. In order to be content, you have to learn it, but you also have to rely on Jesus Christ. And what he says is, we can do all things through him who gives us strength. What Paul is saying to us is that we can only learn to be content through Jesus. In our humanness, we want more, but in Christ, we always have enough and often some left over. Contentment's kind of like forgiveness. It has to be learned. So for you parents and grandparents out there with little ones running around, you have to teach them. You have to teach them what contentment is all about. And you have to rely on Christ for it, the rest of it. So let me run you through a verbal activity uh, that you can all do at home this afternoon. It'll take about 30 minutes. 168 hours a week equals 10,080 minutes. So I would challenge you to go home today, excuse me, and take out a piece of paper and write down all the things that you do during the week, minute by minute, in detail. How many minutes do you drive to work each day? How many minutes do you sleep? Write that down. How many minutes do you eat or drive or drink? How many minutes do you play video games, shower, shave, use the bathroom, run errands? How many minutes do you run the kids to soccer practice or baseball practice or swimming lessons or football or ballet or homeschooling? Yes, kids take a lot of time. Detail everything, then add it all up. What you'll find, and I'll bet you my next paycheck about this, is that it exceeds 10,080 minutes. It always does. Every time I've done this activity, it always adds up to more than 10,080. Well, you might say to me, Paul, you just told us we all get 168 hours, and there's 60 minutes in an hour. How can it be more than 10,080? Well, that's a good question. Here's the answer. 
because in America, we try and cram 185 hours of activity into 168 hours of time. We've been doing it for years. As I look out across this audience this morning, including some of the people that were on this stage before I got up here, uh, they're experts at it. We are experts at it. Guess what happens when we try and do that? We get stressed, that's right. All of these topics are intertwined in our daily lives. Our thoughts of controlling things that we can't control, our looking backwards over our, our shoulder at the past or running forward into the future, all affect us and cause stress in our lives. We only have 168 hours a week to, to do what we need to do. And then we wonder why we're not sleeping, why the kids are acting out, why our spouse doesn't look as attractive as they used to, why work isn't fun anymore. The good news is, is that through our Lord Jesus Christ, we, like the Apostle Paul, can do something about it right now to reduce our stress levels. We've got a brand new year ahead of us, so let's try and make the best out of it. Thank you. So let's work backwards on a few of these details real quick. A little while ago, we talked about outlining how we all spend 10,080 minutes a week. Most of us, including me, will list out more than 10,080, but let's just, for the sake of argument, say that we all land right on that number when we go home and make our list out this afternoon. So here's the big part. Take that list and prayerfully consider how you can reduce it down to 9,600 minutes. I'm serious. Maybe you get rid of the TV. In reading and preparation for this message, I, was, I, was, I read that the average American today is spending 26 hours a week in front of the boob tube. Um, it, was, it seemed unbelievable to me. If, we, if most of us just cut out that one thing, we'd hit the 9,600-minute goal. How about your computer, the video games, or your favorite vice? There are things in our life that are taking way too much time. Maybe the kids don't need to play so many sports. Maybe uh, you only work 70 hours a week instead of 80. Maybe the dog gets put out in the backyard once in a while. Maybe the fishing poles or the golf clubs get, pushed, uh, get put away a little bit more often. I don't mean to be pressing any buttons, but we've all got things in our lives that we're spending too much time doing. But here's the goal. My goal for you for 2022 would be that you would create eight hours of space in your week. That's one hour and seven minutes a day. Now, before we go any further, I'd like to currently recognize that most of you now think I'm crazy. Some of you have stopped listening, and others have wondered why Pastor Steve and Dave would even ask me to come up and speak to you on this topic. The thought of actually scheduling eight hours a week of margin is probably like asking you to learn to speak Russian in the next 10 weeks. Folks, we've gotten to the point in America where we, very few of us have any time for, for, uh, to do anything joyful anymore. While I concede that some of this is due to circumstances beyond our control, like we've already talked about, most of it is actually within our reach and our grasp. Do you know what we even call eight hours of time, extra time in a week? We call it margin. Most of us don't have any margin in our lives anymore. And you know what? No one can live in a state of joy without it. Two weeks ago, Pastor Dave spoke to us about joy, and he gave us lots of examples about what joy can look like in our lives. But do you know what he didn't tell us? He didn't tell us that joy takes time. We have to let go of what we think we need to control. So many of us are control freaks in one way or another about something. Society these days encourages it. My control sin, as I've already mentioned, is the perception that I can control Albuquerque drivers. Rarely am I in my truck 
without talking to every single driver around me. My drive my poor wife crazy, and I stomp the crud out of our joy when we're driving somewhere. How dumb am I? What camp do you fall into? Real? Perceived? What control do you need to let go of? What thing do you need to let control of? Let go of control of? So church family, I've saved the best for last. If you cut eight hours a week out of your 168-hour bucket and you let go of a few things you think you need to control, guess, you what, guess what you experience? As we've already mentioned, you experience joy. In my 35 years as a Christian, I think the biggest topic I've heard people concerned over is what God's will is for their life. And I will tell you that he tells us in 1 Thessalonians. So let me go through this scripture for you. In 1 Thessalonians 5.16, he tells us to be joyful always, to pray continually, to give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for us in Christ Jesus. It's not being joyful sometimes. It's not being prayerful sometimes. It's not being thankful sometimes. It's being those things, three things all the time. But here's what can happen in that eight hours of nothing to do each week. And I'm being sarcastic when I say nothing, obviously. Do you know that volunteerism across America is the lowest it's ever been in history? Why? Because no one has any time. Folks, there's tons of joy in volunteering. And we have lots of opportunities right here at New Covenant. And if not at New Covenant, lots of other places. If you don't know where to start, grab me or Pastor Dave and we'll, we'll give you dozens of options that you can choose from. With an extra eight hours a week uh, in your life, you can make friends. I've always felt like everyone needed to have a best friend. Someone other than your spouse that you can relate to or be uh, open with and usually of the same gender. Friendships don't just happen. Friendships take time. How much time have you invested this past week or this past year on friendships? Ask someone at lunch. 25 years ago, uh, this month, well, actually December, I asked my current bestie to lunch down at the Hyatt. And um, Stan and I come from very different backgrounds, very different political views, very different ethnicities and jobs and educations and children and every variable you can imagine. But there's no one outside of my immediate family that I would, I would like to spend time with uh, more than Stan. Um, with extra time on your hands, you get to meet your neighbors. Do you know your neighbors? Do they know you? When was the last time you stopped by and visited one of them? Took them a gift or checked in on how they're doing? Do you rake their leaves for them in the fall? Do you mow their lawn for them in the summer? Have you ever taken their dog for a walk? Do you know that the very next Christian brother or sister may be living right next door to you? I wish my daughter was here. She was here for the weekend, and she just left to drive back to Fort Worth early this morning. Uh, she, bought a, she got out of college and bought a home uh, in Fort Worth, moved in, and she ended up marrying the guy next door. Now that's friendship. <laughs> With extra time on your hand uh, during the week, you get to share the gospel. If your spiritual gifts do not, even if your spiritual gifts do not include evangelism like me. Have you recently told someone about your faith in Christ? All of us who know Jesus in our lives as personal Lord and Savior have a testimony, and we all need to share it. When was the last time you experienced the joy of seeing someone you know or love come to Christ? With extra time on your hands, you get to know your kids. You get to play games. You get to read books. With extra time on your hands, you get to 
Stay in love with your spouse, to take them on a date, to share, to communicate, to be intimate. If you need help with intimacy, don't see me, see Dr. Annette. With extra time on your hands, you get to smell the roses. You get to smile more. You get to go for walks. Say, I love you. Say, thank you. You exercise more. You eat less. Your blood pressure goes down. You may even stop biting your fingernails, although I still do after 63 years. But best of all, best of all, you get to draw close to the Lord. And I can think of absolutely no better thing for entering 2022 than drawing close to him. Would you all pray with me this morning? Father, I just uh, am thankful for this day that you've given us. Um, I know that there may be someone out here this morning, Lord, who might not know you. And so I just ask that if you're that person, you might just say this prayer with me. Father, we're just tired of trying to run this life on our own. We're tired of being stressed all the time. We just ask that you enter our life and take control and forgive us of our sins and draw close to us and be our Lord and Savior. And for the rest of you who already know Jesus, I just uh, lift you up to Christ and ask that he would reduce your stress this year, that you would seek him in all things. And as Paul taught us, Lord, that we have to learn uh, to, to be content and that we have to reach out to you and uh, ask you to be a part of everything that we do and say each day. And Lord, we ask you to do that now. To start us off in this new year with a spirit of joy, with a spirit of thankfulness. And, uh, and Lord, uh, that we stay in prayer and just uh, be content in all things. Thank you for this church. We lift up our pastors and volunteers to you, Lord, and just are so thankful for each of them. We pray, Father, that you would go before us this day and in the year ahead. And we love you and praise you in Jesus' name. God bless you, my brothers and sisters. This concludes today's message. We thank you so much for listening. We'd love for you to connect with us. You can do that at our website, nccabq.org. From there, you can submit any questions, feedback, and your prayer requests. nccabq.org is also where you can learn more about New Covenant Church. Subscribe to our podcast and newsletters, browse our online message archive, and even tune in and watch the stream of each weekly message. We hope you'll join us. So, until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May God smile on you and gift you. May God look you full in the face and make you prosper. Have a great week.